Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, chapter number 6. You're probably familiar with this chapter because of that section that has to do with the armor of God. He tells us in verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then he says, put on the whole armor of God and begins to list each one of those. On several occasions, I've preached on the armor of God and uh, spend uh, an entire service on each one of the uh, each one of the pieces of the armor, but this morning I want you to begin in verse number 18 where he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and in watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We'll stop there for the moment and we'll read on in a little bit, but... Uh, uh, I was talking the other day to someone about uh, being a new Christian and, and what helped me so much, I think at that stage more than anything, it, it was two things and of course I could add it was the hearing of the word of God, but there were two things. The, the first thing is the fact that where I was saved, there, uh, the day I got saved, it was almost, seems to me like, these people really care. It really matters to them. I, I mean, the, the church, like any church, ought to be somebody to get saved and ought to be excited about that and let the person know that you're thrilled that they've received the greatest gift that a person could ever receive. Amen. That really impressed me. But it was the connection that we made immediately with members of the church for the most part, it was had to do with members about our age. And immediately, uh, one of the couples invited us over. Why don't you just come over, come over and eat with us this afternoon? Well, well sure, fine. You've got to remember back in those days, you, none, no, none of the Baptists ate out. In fact, hardly any professing Christian did back in those days. Wasn't hardly anything open, by the way. That was back in the days of the blue laws, they called them. But there was a connection with the, the, the members of the church that I, I, I can't even begin to describe how important that was. And I've often said, and I know I'm being repetitious when I say this, but we need to hear it over and over. When people don't make a connection, it's not long before they're going to be gone. And whenever you think about the Lord's church being likened unto a body, the body is made up of many members, right? And every member is important. They're not all the same, but all of the members are important. And that's the way we need to view one another, that we're a part of this body and we're connected, as it were, by the Spirit of God one to another. That helped me. But I think maybe even more, at least in my personal life, was the fact that every Sunday evening we had uh, prayer meetings before the evening service. The men have go in one area, the women in another area, all the young people in another area. I can't tell you how frightened I was the first time, which was shortly after I was saved, because I'd attended everything they scheduled. If it wasn't for women only, you know, I was at everything. 
And, uh, but to go in there, and, and, and they didn't just sit around and chat. It wasn't fellowship. Got in there, took prayer requests quick, and everybody started praying one after another, after another, after another. Now, I've been in some churches where you go in that room, that prayer room, everybody starts praying all at the same time. Brother Nolan's been there, and you wonder what's going on. I remember the first time I ever was in a church down south, of course, and I thought, wow, it took me a while to get used to that. In fact, I don't think I ever got used to it. Uh, you know, God's not the author of confusion. So we always pray one person at a time. But that's what we did, and I was scared to death. I thought, what are they, they going to expect me to do that? I'd never prayed in public before. And this is pretty much public for me to pray in front of somebody else. And they didn't urge you to do it. But it wasn't long before when it came my turn, I poured my heart out before God. And that helped me being there with those praying men. And they helped me to learn how to pray. Charles Spurgeon said, I'd rather teach one man how to pray than 10 men how to preach. Think about that. It shows you the high esteem in which he helped the matter of prayer. And to some extent that is true because without, without prayer, we're going to fail at whatever we do, preaching or anything else. First sermon I ever preached was on the subject of prayer. An amazing thing happened about a year or two ago. I was going there, now this is after some of the floods and everything. And I found the original notes that I used for that message. I would have never believed it. But I have them to this day. The subject of prayer, because that was on my heart. And I, I began to read everything I could find by preachers. I was already reading stories about the missionaries and the great pastors of of uh, years gone by and boy I began to read everything I could find and uh, I run across E.M. Bounds book on prayer you ought to get it you ought to read it you ought to keep it and you ought to repeat it what a great book that is back then it came in little paperback versions he talked about I think the first one I read was the power of prayer and then the purpose of prayer and he had I don't know eight or ten different ones in that series but now it's available in one big thick book and uh, you ought to read it because prayer is important. And, and notice what it, see, he says in verse 11, stand against the wiles of the devil. I mentioned last week that we are in trouble. Our, not, it's not just the family that's in trouble, all of humanity. We live in a fallen world. Our nation is coming apart at the seams right now. Families are in deep trouble. We live in a fallen world, and it's not going to get better till Jesus comes and reigns upon this earth. And that's why here he speaks about put on the armor of God. You are in a battle. Don't ever get the idea that when you get saved, all of a sudden, all your problems are going to disappear. All gone now. Don't have to worry about it. Oh, no. They're just starting now. I'll never forget going back to work, and it was difficult to face those guys and and uh, tell them I'm not going out drinking with you anymore. I can remember sitting there at my desk and I would just, the urge for a cigarette and a beer was so great I would go to the, I would go to the bathroom and over and over and over
over, I would repeat Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. They probably thought, man, he's going to the bathroom a lot. I was going in there to pray. I just had to get in a quiet place so I could pray that God would help me to resist the urge to do the things I used to do. And it was because every Christian is in a spiritual warfare and every article of the armor is important. You can't leave any of it out. But notice as he ends up talking about the armor, what does he say here? He speaks about the matter of prayer. Every article of the armor is essential, but none of them can take the place of prayer. We need to see its need. I'm not so sure that we always do. I don't think we see the great importance of prayer like we ought to. And, and partly I base that on what I see today in comparison to what I remember seeing and experiencing 30, 40, 50 years ago. There's not nearly as much emphasis put on prayer today. I mean, do we really believe in prayer? Years ago, there's a small town and uh, someone decided they was going to open up a tavern and they started building the church, found out and the church was protesting and praying and letting them know that we don't want your tavern in our town. And they prayed and they prayed and it, they just kept building it and it looked like their prayers was failing, and, uh, but they just kept praying and they just kept building and the week before that tavern was to open, there was a thunderstorm and a bolt of lightning set it on fire and burned it to the ground. Well, all the Christians, they were happy. They were rejoicing. It didn't take long before the owner of what was going to be the tavern, he, he got wind of that. He could see their snooty attitude, and so he sued them. He took them to court. So here they are now before the judge, and the judge is trying to figure all of this out. And he said, let me see. If, if I, so I don't quite know what to do. If, if I understand this right, we've got, a, uh, we've got a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and a church that doesn't. And here was the problem, because when they got sued, they said, we didn't have anything to do with it. It's not our fault it burned down. God must have done it, you know. But they did never attributed it to their prayers. So to get out of the lawsuit, they just said, oh, it's, our prayers didn't have anything to do with it. You see, do we really believe in prayer? Kind of like the woman that, you know, one time showed up at the church uh, with an umbrella. Somebody said, why in the world did you bring that? It's not raining. So I know, but we, somebody said we're supposed to be praying for the drought and not expecting that we're going to have rain. We just don't put enough emphasis on prayer. And that's what I want to talk to you this morning about. As Paul ends this great letter to the church at Ephesus, he does three things, all of them related to the subject of prayer. He gives them instruction. Then he provides an illustration and then he gives them inspiration. The instruction is found here in our text in verse 18. And I don't think Paul could have ended this letter on, on a more important note than what we see here. Notice he doesn't say anything about church administration. 
They might have been thinking, you know, this business of running a church is pretty tough. Paul, you got any tips? You got any ideas about how, how we can better operate this church? Not anything said about that. Nothing said about fundraising. Doesn't say anything about church growth. Doesn't say anything about the counseling techniques that you need to use in dealing with people. Doesn't mention a thing about that. Doesn't say anything about social reform. He narrows it all down to the subject as to the priority of prayer. That's what he's speaking to them about here. And he does so because, remember, it's not just his idea to write them a letter. The Holy Spirit is prompting him to write every word he writes. And that's true all through the Bible. Whoever wrote it was just a tool in the hands of God as God put the words in their hearts and on their lips and as they penned the words to paper. Now notice five things about the instruction here. The first one is the frequency of prayer. He says, praying always. Now really, that's not anything new because Jesus himself said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. When he made that statement, he knew that his followers were going to have tough times. They were going to be hated and despised. Some of them were going to be killed. And he knew that they would grow weary and they would faint. That is, they'd throw in the towel and they would give up unless they prayed as they ought to. And the same thing is true of us today. We either pray or we faint and we fail and fall. It, it, it'll happen. I promise you it'll happen. Over and over and over again, he tells us to pray always. One of my favorite verses is in 1 Thessalonians 5, 13. And he says, pray without ceasing. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that's not possible. How can I be praying all of the time? Because obviously we can't stay on our knees all of the time. But we can be in continual communion with Christ at all times. Regardless of what we're doing, we can be conscious of God and communicate with him and that's what he desires that's the whole idea to be in a spirit of prayer at all times he wants prayer to be in other words a way of life not just something that we do occasionally but it's something that we do what continually is what he says here as a way of life to be in an attitude of prayer all of the time I mentioned the other day and I've preached about this very subject more than one occasion because I know in my heart how important prayer is. Just about the time we got this property moved over here, I, I preached 18 messages in a series on the subject of prayer. I believe it is that important, more important than you and I can even begin to imagine. But to be in prayer continually, always, always in prayer, without ceasing. And I, and I kind of learned something about that when Jason went to Iraq and, and to Afghanistan. Bev and I prayed and prayed. I mean, anytime you saw us, we were praying under our breath, in our mind. It was constantly on our mind that we were communing with God. But like most people, like I think I could safely say like all of us at times, we tend to neglect what is most important. And we get in a rut 
I remember years ago as a new Christian, and I'd be praying about something, and it would happen. And I'd be shocked. It really happened. God answered my prayer. Well, I'm going to pray more. That was, you know, the attitude. And I did for a week or two. And then it was just kind of right back to the routine again, you see. Lord, there hasn't been anything routine about prayer since I almost lost my wife two years ago. And whenever I face the reality of the fact that I have more years behind me than I do ahead of me, and God's given me the responsibility to do what I can to minister to this church, that's all that's on my mind. I woke up 3.30 this morning. I couldn't go back to sleep. I said, what do you do? I just pray. I said, what else can you do when you can't sleep? I mean, you might as well. Listen, I know this seems fanatical to some. It might seem extreme to some. But this is what the Lord is telling us is going to take for us to overcome Satan and win in the warfare that we're involved in. It's not easy, but it is essential that we do that. Now look at the facets of prayer. With all prayer and supplication. With all prayer. And talking about all different manners of prayer. And the word prayer is talking about just our general request. But supplications has to do with specific requests. It's not like we're just praying for the world. Lord, I pray for peace in the world or something. It's, no, we get specific about it. And we need to need to pray in both ways. Those are two different facets of prayer. Prayer, I remember Dr. John R. Rice wrote a book many years ago on the subject of prayer, and he defined it as simply talking to God. I'll never forget, I was flying back to Springfield, Missouri from Jackson, Mississippi, and so happened that uh, he was on that flight. And I parked myself right down in the seat beside him. Remember, I was a young preacher. I, 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 hadn't, I, hadn't, I hadn't been saved a year yet. Man, I talked his ear off. That poor old man I know was tired from preaching revival meetings, and I wouldn't shut up. But when you get right down to it, folks, that's what prayer is all about. It's conversing with God, talking to God. That's what it is about. And whether we're praising God for who he is, or thanking God for what he has done, or whether we're confessing our sins or interceding on behalf of others, or just asking God for something, that's all a form of prayer. There are different facets of prayer. And so it's like the Lord saying, look, I don't want you to leave out any of them, because some of us, you know, sometimes we can get really good at focusing in on one aspect of prayer. You probably know which aspect that's going to be right it's on the give me give me give me aspect of prayer lord i need this and i need that and oh yeah i almost forgot i need something else it's easy for us to to pray like that and sometimes we do so even to the extent that we fail to pray for others now paul doesn't stop there he speaks about the force of prayer he says 
that we're to be praying, notice, in the Spirit. Now, don't misunderstand that like some have because they have taken that to an extreme to, to speak about uh, speaking in tongues or a, a dozen other things. What, in other words, to them, that's getting so excited that you jump over a pew and roll in the floor and do a little dance and, and it has nothing to do with any of that. When he talks about praying in the Spirit, he simply means that we are to be controlled by and guided by the Spirit of God. And Amen. praying in the Spirit means that we are doing so as we are submissive to Him, dependent upon Him, guided by Him. We're praying according to His will. Romans 8 and verse 26 says, We know not what we should pray for as we ought. And we don't, because we're not that smart. Without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we would forever be confused and led astray. And that's why our great need is to do, as Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. He said in Galatians, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You want to live a victorious life, then you have to be filled, guided, controlled by the Spirit of God and that's what he's talking about here, that as we pray without ceasing, praying continually, that it be in the Spirit. Because we don't know what we ought to ask for. He tells us there in Romans, in addition to that, that sometimes all we can do is just groan. Have you been there, done that? You don't, you don't know what to say. You, you don't know how to put it into words. You know what you feel. And all you can do is groan. That's all right. The Spirit of God understands every word you're trying to say. Amen. Boy, if we could figure it all out, wouldn't we be something? I mean, we'd, we'd probably start keeping a, a list of all of our answered prayers. And not only that, we'd probably go around bragging to everybody about it. Look here. If you think I'm not a prayer warrior, let me read you my list. God knows what he's doing, and he doesn't give us what we want when we want it. He gives us what we need and when we need it. God's wiser than we are. We look at someone laying there on a sickbed, someone we love. And our instinct is that God forbid that they die. Well, we couldn't have that for a moment. We've got to pray, dear God, do a miracle, raise them up. And I've prayed that way. But I tell you, the most sincere, meaningful prayer I ever made was knowing that my wife might die. Notice, knowing that some of my kids might die. People dear to my heart, and I have to get to that place that I finally say, not my will, but thine be done. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, what? Thy will be done. For that, in a sense, that's the hardest prayer for anybody to pray. Thy will be done. We act like God's not going to do what's right. 
that God's not going to do what's best when in reality that's the only way we're going to get what's best is when we get to that point that we just leave it all up to God and Lord, we just want your will to be done. Now notice the factors in prayer. Same verse. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. Notice that word watching. That means to be awake. It means to be alert, vigilant. Who are you thinking about when you think about that? How about Peter? How about those, those disciples? They fell asleep when they ought to have been wide awake. That's why he says, you be watching, aware of the need, alert to the opportunities, awake to the evil around you. You be watching. Notice, and with perseverance. That means stick with it. It means to continue, not give up. We don't get discouraged and quit, quit praying. How many times have you been praying for a situation and finally, it might be that a year or more has gone by and you've been faithful, you have prayed and you have prayed and you have prayed for someone and finally you just said, I quit, I give up. God's going to do what God wants to do and I'm not going to spend any more time praying about it. And here he says, don't you give up. You keep praying. Probably some of you could stand and testify as to needs that have been met and people saved and you never did give up on them. Years went by. Some of you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. The last time I saw Tracy, the last visit we had, and of course we had no idea that she was going to die a few days later. Didn't have any idea. She didn't have any idea. But it is the first time, it was the first time ever since, ever since her childhood rebellion at 14 years old, the first time I've ever been fully convinced that she really was saved. And it seems like, and I, listen, Bev and I had never, ever, ever stopped praying for her. I've told her so many times, honey, I don't agree with what you're doing. It's bad. It's sinful. You're hurting yourself and you're hurting others. But you can't ever do anything to stop me from loving you. And it seems like that it was on that day and my girls by the way, it's my girls really taking care of Bev. I just sat there like an old man, and they take care of her. And, but all the girls and, and the boys and all the family prayed and prayed for her. That night, it seems like she had, was on a personal mission and went around, I guess, to every one of them, without them inquiring even, and just let them know, I want you to know that I really know Christ as my Savior. I've really trusted Christ as my Savior. That's why I say, folks, don't give up. Persevere. That's what he tells us to do here. Don't stop. I know we want to see stuff happen. 
But don't stop unless God tells you to stop. Now notice the focus of prayer. Same verse. For all saints. Now we ought to pray for ourselves. There's no doubt about that. Because we need it. But we shouldn't stop there. He says we're to pray for all of the saints. And here we see, beginning in verse number Verse number 19, he's going to illustrate that, the duty, the responsibility. And, of course, as you know, too many times we're too self-centered. We pray for ourselves, but we don't make intercession for others. But notice beginning in verse 19, here's the illustration. And for me, you know, don't leave me out, Paul says. Pray for all of the saints, but... Really pray for me, what? That utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that ye also may know my affairs and, and how I do. Tychus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things. Pray for all saints, but he says, especially pray for me. You know, Paul was wise enough to know he needed prayer. When I first started preaching, pastoring, I was very reluctant to ever mention any of my needs to the church. I need you to pray about this or that. that I was reluctant because I was stupid. That's just plain dumb. We need to let other Christians know to pray for us. He was humble enough, notice, to tell them. That, that's, why, that's why as a young preacher I didn't, I didn't tell them I need you to pray for me. Because I wanted them to think I'm the pastor and I've got it all together. Well, if they had a lick of sense, it wouldn't take them a month to figure out I didn't have it all together. But I knew I needed prayer and asked him to pray for me. And this is what Paul is doing here. He's illustrating this. And notice he's illustrating it. And he gives them information as to how they can pray intelligently. He doesn't just say, pray for me, period. Pray for me that I might boldly, as an ambassador, that I might boldly proclaim the gospel. And I want you to notice something else. Here in verse 21 and verse 22, he sent Tychus to them that they might know the situation. I'm not just going to give you instructions about this matter, but I, I, I want to provide you this information so you'll, you'll know how to really pray for me. Notice the nature of his request that that I can boldly proclaim the word of God. Now, wait a minute. Aren't you in Rome in a prison cell, Paul? Well, yeah. And you sent Tychus all the way over here to Asia Minor. You sent him all the way over here just to tell us this? Boys, I looked at this this week. First thought come from my mind, as soon as God says go and I can do it with his blessing, I'm going to preach about Tychus. I've never heard any preacher preach a whole message on Tychus. 
don't none of you guys start messing with it either. <laughs> no. It is amazing what that guy has done. He gets no credit, basically. We don't ever talk about him. The traveling he did from place to place and the things that he did and the blessing he was. Thank God for people like that. He was a man on a mission. And Paul sent him there. I don't know if I'd been there in Paul's place. I might have said, Tychus, those people don't know how bad I've got it over here in this prison. I want you to go back and tell them I need their prayers. This is just awful over here. I don't like the food. They don't treat me right. Shouldn't be here in the first place, blah, blah, blah. There's none of that going on here. Tell them to just pray for me that I can boldly proclaim God's word here. You see, he didn't, ask, he didn't ask anything about his physical needs. He didn't say, go back and tell him my gout is killing me. All of the emphasis is upon the spiritual things. And you know, listen, we ought to pray for one another in our physical needs. I believe that with all of my heart. But I think you'd all have to agree that we make mention of praying for people about their physical needs far more than we do about their spiritual needs. It just blesses my heart whenever I hear of a prayer request, pray for my whoever, relative, or someone, they're not saved. Pray that God will use me to get the gospel to them. So now Paul's given them this information and the illustration that there's one more thing that they need, that we need, and that's the inspiration. Look at verse 23. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. This part of the letter never, almost never gets any attention whatsoever. This is the benediction, as it were, of the letter here, and it's revealing the depths of Paul's concern for these people. Amen. It involves the things that matter the most. Yes. He asked them to pray for him, but what's he doing now? He is assuring them that I'm going to be praying for you. Yes. Oh, what a blessing that is. Think of my dear friend Troy Stuckey over there going through all kinds of physical difficulties and radiation and all of that. And as uh, soon as he heard about Bev being in the hospital and he, he contacted us and wanted us to know he's praying. And there are others, there are some of you here, you know, that just over and over, I can't thank you enough for praying for Bev and I. And I, I know you are because you, you tell me that's what you're doing. Thank God for that. That is such an encouragement to people to know that, that somebody's praying for them. And Paul, boy, if I could get anybody to pray for Paul uh, or pray for me, it'd be Paul if he's here, wouldn't you? I think he's somebody that knew how to get through to God, don't you? I called somebody in this church just last week whenever this all started because I knew 
I knew above everybody else, beyond anybody else, that this person would be the first person to drop to their knees and to pray. There are others that I, I just, when I ask them to pray, I, I just, they don't have to tell me, I just know. And that is, that is such a great inspiration. And we all ought to do the same. I said near the beginning that, you know, I, I really don't think we put as much emphasis on prayer as we ought to. The Bible talks about the church being an assembly, and it talks about how we're to interact with one another, we're to love one another, we're to pray for one another, we're to confess our sins one to another. Over and over and over, it speaks about the togetherness of the body of Christ. I remember, I remember it was so common to see people, when the invitation was given, you'd see someone down here on their knees praying, it wouldn't be long. Not just anybody, but somebody, a dear friend, or someone that maybe knew what they were going through and struggling with. And they'd be down there with their arm around them, praying with them. After a while, by the way, we used to, Wednesday night was always in every Baptist church, that was prayer meeting night. Now it's Bible study night. You know why? Because nobody prayed. And that's where we've gotten to today. We can schedule a prayer meeting. We've done that, ladies. And, and a men's prayer meeting that just doesn't do very well. And I can't help but wonder why, as desperately as we need prayer. I often say my prayers, but do I ever pray? And do the wishes of my heart Go with the words I say. I may as well kneel down and worship gods of stone as offer to the living God a prayer of words alone. Think about that. We often say our prayers, but do we really pray? We say a prayer. A parrot can do that. It's one thing to say a prayer, it's another thing to actually pray. The same words might be involved, but when you actually pray, there is something within the Spirit of God prompting us and moving us and directing us as we pray. I just, I can't get enough of reading about that early church. You know, we talk about being a, a New Testament Baptist church. That's great. But do we function like a New Testament Baptist church? Well, you go over and read in Acts chapter number 1. The Lord has ascended back to heaven, assured his followers that he's coming back again. First thing they do is pray and praise the Lord. And they gather together 120 of them. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. 120 of them in that upper room. You ought to go home and read Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. Boy, you talk about a church that was filled with the Spirit of God. That's what it says. They were all. I've never been in a church where every member was filled with the Spirit of God. I'm not sure one exists today. But that first church there, that 120... They were all filled with the Spirit of God. 
Did it make any difference? Well, I don't know. Old Peter got up and preached, and 3,000 people were saved. Something happened. Something made a difference. Amen? And I want you to know it'll make a difference today when we pray as we ought and we develop personally that, that attitude, that lifestyle of prayer, that whether we're driving down the freeway, whether we're sitting in our rocking chair, whatever we're doing, that whenever the enemy attacks, and listen to this and I'm through, when the enemy attacks, the devil is coming against you, He'll find you already at prayer. Don't you wait until the attack is in full blown. Now, what am I going to do? Boy, the devil is after me big time. What am I going to do? I'm, I'm going to have to pray. You should have been praying already. He ought to find you praying. And I know today that I've been speaking basically to the Christian people. And I also know that there's probably some here today that's never received Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And all, all of this might seem like gobbledygook to you. You might not even seem to be interested in it. Well, if you want what's best for yourself, you ought to be interested. Did you know that if you're not saved, if you're not a child of God, that you cannot even pray to God effectively you can beg him all you want oh dear god heal my body dear god supply my need dear god restore a relationship dear god and all of the while that you're doing that you're living with rebellion the rebellion of having rejected god's own dear son and he shed his blood for you and I understand that it's not the prayer that saves us, but the Lord said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you will place your faith in Jesus Christ today, you don't have to say a word to Brother Kenneth or me or anybody else. We'd sure like to know if you do so we can rejoice with you, but all you have to do is just put your trust in Christ and just God... I know I'm a sinner, and I know Jesus died for me, and I'm trusting him to save me. And every Christian here, I'll guarantee you, would do the same thing I'm doing right now. I'm begging you not to leave this building without trusting him as your Savior. You say, well, don't I have to do something? All you have to do is trust him. He did it all. Jesus paid it all when he died on Calvary. Shed his blood to save you from a devil's hell and to make you a child of God with a home in heaven. Would you do that while we stand together and Tim's going to come and we're going to sing a verse of invitation in just a minute? For those of you that are saved and maybe, maybe you've done what I think all of us have done, you've just neglected your prayer life. You have forgotten how important it really is. There might be a family here. I don't know that's struggling with something and you just all want to gather yourselves together and, and come down here and pray. Just pour out your heart. You ought to think of this church as being family, people that care.
If you know of a member that has a heavy burden on their heart, I urge you right now to pray for them, please. Father, we don't deserve it, but we need it. We praise you, Lord, for all that you've done, who you are. And we beg you just now to speak to hearts. May the Spirit of God move upon our hearts and change our lives. Get us out of the rut and help us to be all that we can be that you might be glorified. For we pray in Jesus' name. While we sing, would you come? Jesus. Aren't you glad we do?